The scripture reading this morning is from Isaiah 40. Comfort, comfort my people, says your God. Speak tenderly to Jerusalem and cry to her that her warfare is ended, that her iniquity is pardoned, that she has received from the Lord's hand double for all her sins. A voice cries in the wilderness, prepare the way for the Lord. Make straight in the desert a highway for our God. Every valley shall be lifted up, every mountain and hill be made low. The uneven ground shall become level, and the rough places a plain. And the glory of the Lord shall be revealed, and all the flesh shall see it together. For the mouth of the Lord has spoken. A voice says, cry, and I say, what shall I cry? All flesh is grass, and all its beauty is like the flower of the field. The grass withers, the flower fades, when the breath of the Lord blows on it. Surely the people are grass. The grass withers, the flowers fade, but the word of our God will stand forever. Go on up to a high mountain, O Zion, herald of good news. Lift up your voice with strength. O Jerusalem, herald of good news, lift it up, fear not. Say to the cities of Judah, Behold your God. Behold, the Lord God comes with might, and his arm rules for him. Behold, his reward is with him, and his recompense before him. He will tend his flock like a shepherd. He will gather the lambs in his arms. He will carry them in his bosom, and gently lead those that are with young. This is the word of the Lord. Let us go to the Lord in prayer as we ask him for him to be here with us so that we may be changed and transformed. Let's pray. Dear Heavenly Father, we come before you to hear your holy and inerrant word. We come here expecting you to change us, expecting you to, Lord, to be our God. And so we pray here as the people of ACC, eagerly awaiting for the Holy Spirit to be felt. We pray, O oh God, we know that if the Spirit is not here moving in our hearts, these words are meaningless. So we pray, O oh God, that you would be within our midst and that we would give all the glory unto you. Be with me as I speak your truth and your wonders. Be with the people of ACC as they open their eyes and open their hearts and marvel at the God that they worship. We thank you, God. We pray all these things in Jesus' name. Amen. In America, think the time between Thanksgiving and Christmas is a great time. It's a great time because we get to eat lots of good food. And we get to indulge in all these great meals. You've been dieting. You've been working hard from January to November. And right when Thanksgiving hit, hits, it's time. It's time for that glorious marathon of parties cookies, pumpkin spice, lattes, everything that is just good for the body and good for the soul. In the same manner, if you follow the church calendar, the end of Thanksgiving to Christmas is the season of Advent. And what we do during the season of Advent is we take a break from whatever series we're doing or we end the series early and we contemplate on the second coming of the Lord as well as the first coming 
of our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ. And in the same manner, just like America, we get to feast on these great, rich passages. Passages that are familiar to us, passages that we read in Sunday school, but we get to feast on them in a different way in which it brings comfort to our soul. The messages, messages that you will hear through the Advent season are mainly to uplift your spirit. Once January begins, we'll talk about how much of a sinner you are and how much you need the gospel. But these passages here in the Advent season is to give you hope, it's to make you feel love. And especially in this chapter today, it's supposed to make you feel comfort, comfort that you are a Christian. Comfort that our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ is coming again. Isaiah chapter 40 is a very famous chapter. It's famous because all the Gospels reference this chapter. All the New Testament authors also reference this chapter. And because it's so rich and it's so layered and because it is so clear in its Gospel presentation. Even though it is in the Old Testament, the gospel presentation is crystal clear. And we see that the, the gospel is not something made up or something new, but that it was prophesied years ago, and now it is coming to fruition in the person of Jesus Christ. And so we're just going to go over this passage together. I'm going to go stanza by stanza. I don't have three points. We are going to eat and feast on this passage together. And hopefully by the end of this passage, your souls will be comforted and you will feel full and happy. So basically the stanza is how I'm going to break it up. It's uh, stanza one is verses one and two. Stanza two is verses three to five. Um, stanza three is verses six to eight. And stanza four is verses nine through eleven. And we're going to see how each stanza, though they may seem separate, are just part of one complete message. What we have before us today is a four-layered cake. And we're going to eat, and we're going to see how God is good. So as we read chapter 1, we see that in uh, verse 1, we see Isaiah says or writes down, Comfort, comfort my people, says your God. This is the first message God brings to his people and the thrust of the whole chapter, not of just of this chapter, but I think from chapters 40 to 56, the whole theme is about comfort to the people of God. Now the question is asked, what, why do we need comfort? Why do the people of God need these words? And so what I'm going to do is I'm going to explain to you how the first hearers, the people first experiencing this message, would have understood it. And then I'm going to apply it to us and how um, it's practicality for us today. So first, when we hear comfort, comfort my people, we have to understand what position the Israelites were in. In what situation is Isaiah giving this message to his people? And we're going to do a little bit of a history lesson, but not too long, because I know not many people like history, but I love history. Um, what you have to understand is what is happening during Isaiah's time is that the Assyrian Empire is gaining lots and lots of power. And at this time, Israel is divided into two kingdoms. There's the northern kingdom and the southern kingdom. And the northern kingdom has already been taken over. 
And they are fearing the Assyrian Empire, and they don't know what to do. They want to know why are they in this situation? Why has God brought this upon them? And Isaiah begins to speak to these people. And interesting, interestingly enough, Isaiah just says, says, don't worry about the Assyrian Empire. You need to worry about the empire that hasn't existed yet. And everyone's saying, what? You need to worry about the Babylonian Empire which will come right after the Assyrian Empire, and what the Babylonian Empire will do is far worse than what the Assyrian Empire will do. The Assyrian Empire will exile you from the land. And why is this significant for the Israelites? Well, for the Israelites, the land is everything. It is the promises of God, and when they are in the land and when they are thriving, that means their relationship with God is good. That the favor of God is upon them and everything in the world is great. But when there is a message from God saying that you, the people of Israel, will be exiled from the land, that means the wrath of God has come upon the nation of Israel. So Isaiah says this message, you all will be exiled. You all will be condemned. And here, as they receive this message and as they receive this prophecy, Isaiah says, but do not fear, for there is good news that comes after this, that there is comfort from this message. And Isaiah begins to say, or God says to Isaiah, speak tenderly to Jerusalem and cry to her that her warfare is ended, that her iniquity is pardoned, that she has received from the Lord's hand double for all her sins. The war will not last forever. The exile will not last forever. When God pardons the sins of Israel, they will return back to the land and all will be good again. God's wrath will not be on them forever. There is comfort. So when people hear that God has forgiven them, they get excited. They're like, okay. God has forgiven us. That means we're going back home. There's no more condemnation. We're not going to live in ex exile. And people begin to be excited and say, well, how is God going to do this? How is God going to just simply forgive our sins? Is he going to send someone like Moses? And when we're exiled, when? When do we get to go back? And that's when the second stanza comes in. God reveals to Isaiah, this is how you will know that you are going back home. Verse 3, a voice cries in the wilderness, prepare the way of the Lord, make straight in the desert a highway for our God. A message will come. A message will come that will come in the wilderness and it will begin the coming of the Lord, the coming day of the Lord. And so from here on out, people are supposed to wait for this message. Okay, once this message comes, once the message comes, then the Lord is going to come, then our sins are going to be forgiven, and then we are going to go back home. There is great excitement in this news. For Israel understands that when the Lord promises he will do something, it will happen. And what happens when this voice comes? Verses 4 and 5. Every valley shall be lifted up, and every mountain and hill be made low. The uneven ground shall become level, and the rough places a plain. 
And the glory of the Lord shall be revealed, and all flesh shall see it together, for the mouth of the Lord has spoken. What this means is the Lord will come, and when he comes, he will make all things new. You see, when the Israelites are exiled, they look out into the land and all they see is desert. They see obstacles. There is no way back home. But when this voice comes, when this message comes, God is going to remove all the obstacles. There's going to be no wilderness. He's going to make every valley come up. He's going to make every mountain come low. He's going to make the path straight, simple, and easy. There is nothing that the Israelites will have to do. The Lord will do it all. And people said, yes. Oh, man, whoever God is going to send, whatever God is going to do, it's going to be big. And verse 5 puts a point on it. He says, and the glory of the Lord shall be revealed. So after this voice, after this message, the God will come and his glory will be revealed to all and people will be amazed. But there's a new wrinkle in this message. For when Isaiah speaks, he says, and all flesh shall see it together. A lot of the message of Israel's redemption was only about Israel. Israel will see this. Israel will come to see this. Um, all the people surrounding nations will see this. But here for the first time we see that God's glory is going to be revealed not just to Israel, not just to the surrounding nations, but all flesh will see the glory of the Lord. And so Israel waits. Man, when we go back, it's going to be bigger than the time we when came to this land. It's going to be bigger than Moses and that great exodus because this event seems as if the whole world is going to be talking about it and everyone is going to know who God is and it's not just going to be this one isolated local incident. And so you can see God is a master storyteller and is revealing little and little pieces of his plan. Israel, you will return. Your sins will be forgiven. Wait for the voice. Once you hear this voice, you will know that I am coming and I will reveal all of my glory to the world. Then we go to stanza three, verses verse six through eight. And then it says, a voice says cry. And then you can see Isaiah is just enraptured in all this, this whole narrative. And he says, what shall I cry? What more can you explain to me, Lord? You're going to show all this glory. You're going to show all this magnificence. What more can I declare? And God says, all flesh is grass and all its beauty is like the flower of the field. The grass withers, the flower fades when the breath of the Lord blows on it. Surely the people are grass. The grass withers, the flower fades, but the word of our God will stand forever. Now people are saying, what? What does this have with returning home? You see, you can understand how God understood his people. People are always thinking that if their sins are forgiven, they always think they're going back to land. They're going back to real estate. But Jesus keeps saying, not Jesus, God. Technically, I'm right. But God says, 
God is saying, no, this plan that is going to be revealed is so much bigger than you just going back home, than you just going back to a land or an area. You guys are thinking about the glory of mankind and kingdoms. You know, you can believe that in their own mind, what they're thinking is, man, someone like Moses is going to come. We're going to be a, 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 a warrior tribe. We're going to have finance coming in. We're going to become big, and we're going to take over all these nations, and we're going back home. But here God says, no, no, you got to think bigger. See, the ultimate problem is that you are not at home. The ultimate problem has always been death. So what if you return back to the land? So what if you go and occupy this area? What's going to happen? You're ultimately going to die and all that glory that you once thought was precious is going to pass. What's important is this, that the word of God, and implying to the Israelites that the word of God and your salvation is so much more important, life eternal is what I'm going to accomplish. When the Lord reveals himself to everybody, what is going to happen is that people will live forever. And as, as Isaiah contemplates this more and more, we go to stanza four, and God directly tells Isaiah that this is good news. And now he says to Preach it with conviction, that it's not about returning home, that it's about defeat over death. He reads, he says, go on up to a high mountain, O Zion, herald of good news. Lift up your voice with strength, O Jerusalem, herald of good news. Lift it up, fear not, say to the cities of Judah, behold your God, behold the Lord God comes with might. And his arm rules for him. Behold, his reward is with him and his recompense before him. He will tend his flock like a shepherd. He will gather the lambs in his arms. He will carry them in his bosom and gently lead those that are with young. The word that is coming, the word that, is need, that needs to be preached, the word that is going to give life eternal to everybody is this news that God is coming. And when he comes, he's going to gather his people and they're going to go home. Not back to Israel, but before God. And what's interestingly, interesting enough in this passage is this, that God seems to indicate that he himself will be the one who does this act. It doesn't seem, it doesn't seem like that someone like Moses is going to come again. It doesn't seem like a normal person that God is going to simply raise up. It seems to be that God himself is going to come down, reveal his glory, do all the work that is necessary in order to achieve verses 1 and 2. The forgiveness of sins. The peace of God and his people. And we know that it is true that when Jesus comes, he is the fulfillment of Isaiah chapter 40. It took some time, about 800 years. It took some time, but finally Jesus comes, and all the New Testament authors understood that voice, that message that they were waiting for. It was John the Baptist. It was John the Baptist that began to repent and make the path for the Lord. And we read it in our scripture reading today in Mark. There, John the Baptist begins to preach that the Lord, that Lord is coming himself. 
that it is not a representative, but God himself is coming, and God himself will be the great shepherd. If we read Luke chapter 3, verses 5 through 6, we understand that this is how the New Testament authors understood Isaiah 40. If you have your Bibles, look with me, uh, look with me at uh, Luke chapter 3, verses 5 through 6. But if you don't have your Bibles, you can look at Isaiah 40, verses 3 to 5. It's almost the same, but a slight variation. Here in Luke chapter 3, verses 5 through 6, it says this, Every valley shall be filled, and every mountain and hill shall be made low, and the crooked shall become straight, and the rough places shall become level ways. And here in verse 6 is where Luke gives his own interpretation. And all flesh shall see, is it the glory of God? Yes, but Luke writes, all flesh shall see the salvation of God. What is revealed in chapter 40 is the salvation of God. That is the glory of God. That is what is revealed to the whole entire world. The salvation plan for all of humanity is to be found in this person of Jesus Christ. Going to the next stanza, Peter writes on Isaiah chapter 40. Again, if you have your Bibles with me, look at 1 Peter chapter 1, verses 24 to 25. If you don't have your Bibles, simply look at verses 6 through 8. Peter again quotes Isaiah chapter 40, verses 6 through 8, and he writes this. All flesh is like grass, and all its glory like the flower of grass. The grass withers, and the flower falls, but the word of the Lord remains forever. And here is Peter's commentary after. And this word is the good news that was preached to you. This word of the Lord is not just a word or some word. It is a specific word that will give eternal life for all of the world to see. And it is the word of Jesus. It is the word of Jesus Christ. It is about what Jesus Christ did and what he came to do. That he came. He who is God came as one of us and then died on the cross for us and then resurrected on the third day for us and now resides in heaven that is why john chapter 1 verse 1 says this in the beginning was the word and the word was with god and the word was god the glory of god revealed was jesus christ himself and everybody in the new testament era understood understood this Listen to Hebrews chapter 13, verses 20. Now may the God of peace, who brought again from the de dead our Lord Jesus, the great shepherd of the sheep, by the blood of the eternal covenant. Verses 9 through 11 was all about Jesus. We call Jesus the great God, Lord, the great shepherd, because he is God, and he is the one who gathered all his people to come to him so that we could go to our true home in heaven forever. And so that is how we are to understand it today. That this message presented to us here in Isaiah 40 is a message of the salvation of the world. And that salvation is found in Jesus Christ. And because we are his, we are finally, finally going home. 
How does this apply to us today and how should it bring comfort? We are not home yet. We are not home yet, but we most assuredly are going home. So whatever you are going through today, whatever you are struggling with right now, it will pass. It will pass. And one day you will be in heaven. Brothers and sisters, we're still in the wilderness. If we placed ourselves in the story of the great exodus, we have left the great empire of Egypt, which is death. We have left that great empire and we find ourselves in the wilderness and we are on the cusp of going home into the promised land of heaven where our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ resides. We're going home. Now, how would this passage apply to a non-Christian? Maybe you're here with us today and you do not believe or you do not make sense of what is going on here. And all you have to know is this. Verses 1 and 2 should speak most profoundly to you. And it's simply this, that you no longer have to be at war with God. That God says you are forgiven because of my son, Jesus Christ. And that if your soul is experiencing torment, if your soul is experiencing angst, there can be comfort. There can be comfort found in our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ, who gives us peace, who gives us the assurance that God is no longer angry at us, but smiles when he sees us. Do you understand that when you are saved, God's glory is revealed and all the world rejoices. All the angels in heaven rejoice that you are coming home. If you do not believe, if you do not believe, I tell you to believe. Believe that Jesus Christ has come to take away all your sins. And to reconcile you to our great God. Brothers and sisters, everyone here, take comfort in the great news and message of Jesus, Jesus Christ who has come for us and will eventually take us home. Let's pray. Dear Heavenly Father, we come before you. During this Advent season, we pray that you would remind us that we are not yet home. That why we sometimes experience this angst, sometimes we experience this turmoil, it's because we are not yet home. But we know that our home is secure because of Jesus Christ. And so we await with great and eager expectation of the second coming of our Lord and Savior. For we know that when he comes, all will be made good once again. Thank you, Jesus, for this news. Thank you for this season where we get to rest upon Jesus and Jesus alone. Thank you that you call us not to do more, not to work more, not to be better, but to rest in you. We thank you, O God. We pray all these things in Jesus' name. Amen.